0: Well, this morning we're continuing in a sermon series we kicked off last week called Resurrection Stories where we are looking at different stories in the Bible where Jesus meets his followers after God raises him from the dead. And so last week we looked at a story where Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he revealed himself to some of his followers in some specific ways. And we talked about how Jesus still walks with us, he is still for us, and he still reveals himself in specific ways as well. And this morning we're going to look at another story, another resurrection story, and it's actually the final time Jesus meets with and talks to his followers before he ascends into heaven. And I'll just let you know this morning this is one of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible because one of my life verses is actually contained in the story I've preached on it a Number of times because I love it so much and so as we begin to dive into god's word together I want you to to try and do something that I do when i'm preparing a sermon or preparing a bible study And that is to try to put yourself In the shoes of some of the different characters in the story And so in the story today, I want you to try to put yourself in the shoes of these disciples of jesus And think about everything they've been through They walked with jesus They talked with Jesus. They learned about the kingdom of God from Him. They saw Him do miraculous things, and then He was crucified. They were grieving. They were... They were hopeless. They weren't sure what was next. And then three days later, God raised Jesus Christ as one and only son from the dead. And so they were filled with joy and excitement. And Paul tells us in one of his letters that Jesus appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses during 40 days after his resurrection. And so Jesus is appearing to them. He continues to talk with them. He continues to walk with them. But when I think about what they must have been thinking and feeling during that time, I have to think that they had a lot of questions for Jesus, because it's not every day that somebody rises from the dead. And so I imagine that during this transitional time, they were asking Jesus a lot of different questions. And I, when I think about their perspective, I, I think they probably had a lot of questions because right now, some of you know, Emily and I, my wife, we're in kind of a transitional time in our lives. And in times of transition, there are naturally a lot of questions. So we are, are moving, if you didn't know that. We're moving in June. And so we're asking the question, okay, do we rent or do we try to purchase a home? What neighborhood do we live in? And then as we're preparing to move, we're like, where did all of this stuff come from in our house? And Emily asks me, why do you have all of your notes from college? Why do you carry them from house to house? And I ask her, why does she have so many toiletry items, right? We, we have questions. And then we're preparing to say goodbye to you in June and so it's a question will our new church love us as much as you've loved us <laughs> no he said <laughs> there's the question of will you know patrick remember how you've you've loved him our our son will will people like us what will the next thing be like and then we're we're having twins if you didn't know my wife is pregnant with twins and so a lot of people have questions for us. The number one question is: do you twins run in your family? And I think people ask that because they're afraid they're going to have twins. and they're like hoping, and they do. They run in, in her side and my side. and then people ask, "How are you going to deal with three under three in your house?" And we look at each other and say, "I don't know." And then people ask, you know, hey, are they identical? Are they fraternal? Are they boys? Are they girls? And for a long time, we haven't had an answer to the question, but we do actually have the answer now. We're having one boy and one girl. So so don't ask us if they're identical, okay? Just let you think about that one because people do. Um, So we're excited, but there's still a lot of questions because it's this transitional time in life. And so I'm sure during these 40 days, as the disciples are walking with the resurrected Christ who has nail-scarred hands, they're asking him, what do we do now? What's next? Where do we go from here? Because while Jesus had told them he was going to ascend into heaven, you know the disciples, they're kind of slow. They didn't always understand what he was saying. They didn't quite get it. So I'm sure they asked Jesus a lot of questions, but I don't know how many of them actually answered for them before he ascended into heaven. But in scripture, we do have the answer to one specific question they asked Jesus. And that is before Jesus ascended, they said to him, they said, look, are you going to finally restore the kingdom to Israel, They were asking Jesus, like, hey, are you finally going to kick out the Romans and establish your, your kingdom and, like, reign as king and, like, take over with force? Because they, they still didn't understand that Jesus' kingdom was different than the kingdoms of this world. So they asked Jesus this question. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus answers them. And I don't think it's the answer they exactly wanted. But Jesus answers this one question. But then in his answer, he also answers a number of other questions, I think the disciples had during this time. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 11. And there we read this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so right here, Luke is the author. He says in my former book, Theophilus, he's referring to the gospel of Luke. So you have Luke, which tells us about the the acts or actions of Jesus. He's saying, that's my former book. Now, in the book of Acts, we read about the acts of the disciples or the actions of the Holy Spirit as they begin growing the church. And so he's writing here, and he continues on in verse 3. Luke says this, After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Can you say that with me, that word? Wait. Wait for the gifts my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and this word wait here is interesting to me because... As Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, he doesn't say, go, run out and build a church. He doesn't say, go, do miracles. Go, tell others about me. First, he says, wait. How many of you in here hate waiting? Yeah, that's most of us. We hate waiting. But that's what Jesus tells them to do. He says, you need to wait before you do anything else because he knew that to do what he was going to command them to do, they needed something they didn't yet have. They needed the Holy Spirit to empower them. So continuing in verse 6, then they gathered around him, the disciples, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the disciples ask him this one question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus, he doesn't respond probably like they want. And he says, look, it's, it's not for you To be focused on my plans for the future. Instead, I want you to focus on the plans I have for you and for your future. And he gives them those plans in Acts chapter 1, verses 8, verse 8, which is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And I'm going to read it again. Here's what Jesus said: These are his final words. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I love this verse because this verse succinctly answers one question that the disciples had during this transitional time. And it's a question that I've asked myself a lot of times throughout my life and perhaps you've asked yourself throughout your life and that question is this, what is my purpose? What is your Purpose. Maybe you walked in here today and you feel like you have no purpose. Maybe you have a misguided purpose. I want to share with you the purpose Jesus gives to these disciples, and it's a purpose I think he has for all Christ followers today. And this was important for Jesus to communicate to them because as he was ascending into heaven, they're probably thinking, okay, well, what do we do now? What's the next chapter in the story? Like, we've been following Jesus. Now who are we going to follow? And so Jesus gives them their ultimate purpose purpose with his final words and he says this your first purpose in life is to be my witnesses to be my witnesses and now what is a witness a witness is simply someone who shows and tells others what they've seen heard or experienced I'll say that again. A witness is someone who shows and tells others what they've seen, heard, or experienced. That's what a witness is. That's the purpose Jesus gives us. And to help you kind of understand you know, what a witness is, I'll, I'll, I'll do a confession here. Some of you know that on Good Friday, I almost burned down everything on this property. It's funny now because it didn't happen. It was not funny that day. I planned this creative service where we were going to walk around the property with the cross and have torches and fires everywhere. And there was one fire pit back in the the back of the church, and people had been dumping brush there all year long, and so it was very dry. It was probably from the platform about here. And I knew it would burn quickly. And I knew it would be big, but I didn't know how quickly and how big because the wind was blowing. And so I lit the fire, and suddenly it... It became huge and the wind was, was just filling it and it started burning all the grass in the field back here and it started nipping the tree above. And so I'm running around. I'm looking for buckets of water. I'm trying to find a rake. I'm stomping out the fire. People start pulling up for the worship service and they're just in their cars looking at me, watching me run around looking for water. And for a long time, they didn't help, okay? I know who you are. You didn't help. But then then Al over here was the first one to help. He he, he was like, they knew there was a problem because there was a wind advisory. And actually later I learned that there was the fireman said, don't burn today. But I didn't know that at the time. And so we finally got out the fire. We put it out and then people were showing up for worship. And I'm like white. I smell like smoke. I'm walking around on edge because... I was an eyewitness to the fire and what could have happened, and so many other people who showed up that day, they witnessed the fire, they felt the fire, they saw my face, they knew it was not a game and that it could have been bad. And so what they did is they went and witnessed to other people about the fire. And so when people pulled up, they were saying, you know, Pastor I almost burned down the church is his final act. And we have insurance, but like that's not how I wanted to go out. So they began witnessing to other people. And so that's what a witness is. It's someone who shows and tells others what they've seen, heard, felt, or experienced. And Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses. He's saying, I want you to tell other people that you once were lost and now you've been found. Is that anybody in here this morning? He, He wants you to say, look, I was dead in my trespasses, but now I have been forgiven of my sin and raised to new life. Jesus says, I want you to tell other people that at one time you were without hope and now you have hope because of him. He wants you to tell other people about the sacrifice that he made so that you can have forgiveness and life. And he doesn't want you to just tell other people. He wants you to show other people by laying down your very life out of love for them. He wants you to be his witnesses in hopes that other people might become his followers as well. And if you think about yourself in this room this morning, you're probably here because someone was a witness to you. Someone shared Jesus Christ with their words and with their actions with you. Jesus says, that is your first purpose in life. To be His witnesses. And I heard a sermon on this many, many years ago and it stuck with me ever since then. I was a pastor named Matthew Hartsfield in Florida. And he pointed out something I hadn't noticed before. He said, Jesus not only gives us our purpose, but he also gives us the places where to live out that purpose. So if you, if you called it in the verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you are to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So if you think about Jerusalem, Jerusalem for them, that was where they were right then. That was their immediate vicinity when Jesus was talking with them. He said, be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea was the region they were in Samaria was north of this region And Samaria is where their enemies lived And Jesus said go even unto your enemies And be my witnesses And then he said don't just stop there Go to the ends of the earth And why did Jesus say the ends of the earth Because he knew that they needed to go to all places And all people because his gift of salvation Was for everyone No one was excluded So he said go Live out your purpose in all of those places And if we kind of contextualize them for for today if we think about our own jerusalem so to speak it's where you you spend your time if you go to work each day how many of you go to work each day that's your jerusalem jesus is calling you to be a witness there how many of you are retired you eat a biscuit at hardy's once a week or something you know you're called to be a witness at hardy's or taking care of your grandkids we're going on a cruise ship. Wherever you are, he's saying, that's your Jerusalem. You need to be a witness. How many students we have in here? You're called to be a witness to your teachers, to your classmates, to the staff. That is your Jerusalem. And so it also holds true for, for parents. And, and your Jerusalem as a, as a parent is, is your household. That is where you are called, first and foremost, to be a witness. And that's why this Mother's Day, we're, we're celebrating moms and we're encouraging moms because you have a high and holy calling to be a witness to your children, to your household, to your, to your family, to other people, to witness to Jesus Christ, to them. And we know that you are often under-recognized, under-encouraged. You make sacrifices that people never see and that people never celebrate. So once again, uh, will you give the moms in here a round of applause and thank them. Thank them for being witnesses. And we, we have a gift Emily told you about in the lobby. It's a, it's a trowel and some seeds, some seed paper. And somebody told me, good, you know, now my wife's going to go out today and like do yard work. That's not the purpose of the gift, Okay. It's, it's, a, it's a reminder. It's a, it's a sign and a symbol that we know that you plant seeds of faith. You plant seeds of hope. And a lot of times when you're planting, it's hard work. Not a lot of people want to do it. And you don't always see the immediate fruit. And so we know some of you, you've been sowing seeds and, and you're wondering when you might see fruit. But we just want to let you know God sees you. God knows what you're doing. And we're trusting him for transformation because you never know the impact your witness might have. And I heard a, a, a guy who leads a ministry conference I go to each year named Mark. He, he told his testimony a while back, and it was a testimony unlike I'd ever heard. He said that he grew up in a complicated and broken home, and there wasn't really any witnesses to Jesus there in his home. But he had a friend who would always invite him over to hang out and go on play dates and, and spend the night, and he said... His friend's home was very different. In his friend's home, he, he sensed there was, there was love, there was comfort, there was, there was security, there was, there was something there, and that, that something was Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so over time, as he got to know this family, he saw the difference, he saw God at work, and ultimately his friend's parents led him to Jesus Christ in their home because he wanted to know what the difference was between that home in his home. He didn't come to faith in a church. He didn't come to faith at a youth revival. He didn't come to faith through a YouTube video or some evangelism course. He came to faith because as he stepped into his friend's home, he found Jesus. They were witnesses there in that place. And it made an eternal difference for him as a little boy and now he leads pastors all over the world you never know the impact you can have as a witness we're called to do it in Jerusalem called to do it in Georgia we're called to do it to people who don't look like us and people we don't really even like but God calls us to love everyone to share him with everyone even unto the ends of the earth And I imagine at this point, if you put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, Jesus gives them this purpose. He gives them the the places. I imagine at this point, these guys are thinking like, I don't know about all this, Jesus. Like, we don't want you to leave. We we need you because they're thinking, look, a lot of us just denied you. We kind of deserted you when you were on the cross. We're kind of slow. We don't really understand everything you're teaching us. They're probably thinking like, I don't know about all this. We, we, we Jesus, we need some, some help. And that's where Jesus' command to wait comes in. Because here's the thing. Jesus knew they couldn't do it on their own. He knew they needed help. And so he told them to wait because he said, I was going to send a helper. I'm going to send an advocate. I'm going to send my very spirit to empower you and to enable you to actually live out this mission in all of these different places and so he says wait on the holy spirit and so what they did is they went and they waited and they didn't wait passively like we often do you know scrolling on facebook when we're at the dmv or like checking our email or reading about the latest trial and all the drama going on like they actively waited they waited in prayer they actively waited by preparing their hearts. And so they began to pray. They began to wait. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they received the power they needed to live out their purpose. And they began going to Jerusalem and sharing Jesus Christ with others. And, and even when persecution came at them, they went to their region. And they began sharing Jesus. Then they went to their enemies and they began sharing Jesus. And then they went to the ends of the earth. And now 2,000 years later, we're here in Henry County, Georgia... Because they were witnesses And maybe you're here this morning And you you heard me say your purpose is to be a witness to Christ earlier And you thought, not me I'm a curmudgeon Not me, I don't know anything about the Bible Not me, like, I, I can't answer people's questions Not me, you don't know what I've done, Pastor Well, the thing is, Jesus knows that you can't do it on your own. He knows that you're not qualified. He knows that if you were left to your own devices, you'd mess it up. And so he says, I'm going to send my spirit. And it's my spirit that will empower you to actually be my witnesses. It's my spirit that will help you be patient. It's my spirit that will transform you and bear the fruit of the spirit. It is my spirit that will give you the words to say when you need them. It is my spirit that pours out my forgiveness upon you. It is my spirit that will empower you for this purpose I've given you. So here, Jesus gives us our purpose. He gives us the places where to do it and he tells us, the power we need. And when we become Christ's followers, Scripture tells us that His Holy Spirit begins to dwell inside of us. But Paul in Ephesians, in his letter there, he he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. Be filled. And in the Greek, it it has this continual present tense. It means go on being filled over and over and over again. It's not just a one-time thing. it's It's like a pilot light. Yes, you have the Spirit in you. But God wants to breathe on you continually and make it into a burning flame. He wants to set you on fire so that people will want to come and see what is going on. They'll want to see His love in you. They'll want to know what's different about you. He wants to fill you with His Spirit so that you can live out His purpose, so that all people might come to know the life that He desires for us. And so this morning the band's going to come up and we're going to sing one final song and the song is Holy Spirit. It's a song many of you know, but this morning I don't want you to just sing it. I want you to make it your heart's prayer. If you're a parent in here and you feel like you've, you've messed things up, I want you to say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Redeem me. Restore me. Give me another chance. and He will. If you're here today and you're just saying, I'm at the the end. I I can't do it on my own. Say, Holy Spirit, come fill me and the Spirit will meet you and sustain you. Maybe you're here today and you're just like, you know, I don't know about any of this. I want you to pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just reveal to me God's love? So would you bow your heads with me as we invite the Spirit to come now. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful. Restore the broken places in our lives. Redeem our bad decisions. Empower us to love our children, our family members with your love. Help give us eyes to see the people you've placed in our path that you're calling us to be witnesses to today and every day.